I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning, good morning. I'm Cooper Patagna, a national recruiting analyst with 24-7 Sports, alongside my colleague Andrew Ivins, covering the states of Florida and Georgia. And we have a jam-packed show for you this morning covering the NFL Draft, recapping that, starting with the University of Georgia breaking records. 15 guys drafted this past weekend, beating Ohio State in 2014 with 14 players in LSU in 2020 with 14 players as well. So, Drew, I, I want to start right there. And before we dive into the University of Georgia, Kirby Smart's recruiting success and now developing NFL caliber talent, 15 guys, uh, pretty remarkable in its own right. But what has this process been like for you? you you've been covering recruiting for a while now, but seeing these guys and, and, and a lot of these guys in your back, backyard in the states of Florida and Georgia, but seeing them go through the process in high school and, and get recruited by some of these Division One programs, some at the D2 and FCS level, and then to hear their name called during the NFL draft, what's that process been like for you? It's cool. I think it's definitely one of the most unique parts of the job. You know, I sat around watched three days of draft coverage with my fiance and she's like, why are we watching this? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I remember this kid from when he was dad. And I, I think it's cool to see kids go on and achieve their dreams and, and their goals and all that. But the other thing is, you know, you, you formulate a narrative or a grade or, or what you think of one individual at the high school level, what he could be in college and then could he make the league? So it's always cool to kind of self-check yourself or or figure out, hey, why did I miss on this guy? You know, I didn't think this of him, and all of a sudden he's going in getting drafted. Like Nick Bonito, uh, the defensive lineman that went, I think he went day three or, or, or round three, excuse me, out of St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, we talked about him on the last space we did or, or, or one of them. You know, I remember that he was so small coming out of high school, and then for him to go and, and, and make the pros, it, it's just cool. I mean, some of those kids you build relationships with, I mean, I always remember – I think when you talk to a kid in his purest form is before they're even really ranked and before they're um, have been coached on what to say, before they're trying to hide where they're going to school, you can get so much out of those kids. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you build relationships and, you know, there's guys in the league that I, I still talk to now or, or communicate with a, a little bit. So it's always cool to do that. And, you know, just the big thing is trying to correct yourself. Why did I miss on a kid? Or, you know, how did this kid emerge? Because, you know, sometimes you'll think, well, I think this guy could grow into that, or I think he could do this. And you're not always going to be right, but it definitely helps when you can can build that bank in your head in terms of from a scouting perspective of, of seeing some guy doing it and then four years later getting drafted and whatnot. Yeah, favorite time of the year for me. I, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I got to write a, a little bit about that yesterday uh, in an article that I put out. But I love the NFL draft. I mean, 262 draft picks, seven rounds, and, and so many great 
stories and different stories. And in, even in today's age with how much information we have on our hand, you see guys like Zion Johnson, who started his career at Davidson, transfers to Boston College, gets drafted in the first round by the Los Angeles Chargers. Trevor Penning, another one of those guys. And we had one offer from Northern Iowa as well. So uh, a lot of stories like that, guys at every level, now going to be afforded the opportunity to play in the NFL draft. But Drew, I want to start with the storyline, the main storyline of the NFL draft, and that's the Georgia Bulldogs, the year of the dog coming off a 2021 national championship. Now they have 15 players drafted. The bulk of those guys drafted coming from the 2018 class that ranked number one the following year, 2019, I believe, I believe was the number three class in the country. So kind of a two-part question. Like one, is this sustainable? And I, I think we both know the answer to that question. They they broke a record here at 15, but more and more and so in, in terms of what we've seen at Alabama. Alabama had seven players drafted this year. LSU had 10 players drafted this year, which is pretty crazy to think about coming off a six and seven season. But do you do you see this being the norm for the University of Georgia? And is there another program out there on the horizon that maybe has something like this cooking up in terms of NFL development? Well, I'll, I'm going to start here with this, right? My dad, big college football guy, um, season ticket holder at University of Florida. He texts me, I think, after the draft about Georgia. So he's like, "Is this? are these guys getting selected because Georgia's defense was so good and NFL scouts and evaluators are looking at them going, oh, we must get guys from this defense? Or are these individuals that talented and that's the reason why they're getting selected. And, and I, I think it's the latter. I mean, Georgia clearly had a model for what they wanted to go after. Height, weight, speed. We talk about all the time, traits-based guys. They, they have boxes they check off at every position, and they just built an entire defense of that. So, uh, you know, it's not surprising if you take a step back and look to see all these guys drafted because they all had NFL traits. And I do think this is sustainable. I mean, look how Georgia has been recruiting uh, under, under Kirby Smart, you know, after – Shane Beamer made that comment about how insane it was facing uh, Georgia's defense with all the five stars and all that. You know, I wrote a story back in September saying, uh, well, you know, bad news because the the class of 2022 that Georgia has committed is even more elite. You know, I mean, there's even more dudes. And I, I just think Kirby has this thing cranking now. You got one national title in you. You know, I talk to kids on the recruiting trail all the time. And it's 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 essentially, you know, the saying used to be, Bama's Bama, and that's still the saying. I mean, kids will always say Bama's Bama, but now it's starting to be, well, you know, Georgia's defense is Georgia's defense. Why would you not want to play with those guys? They're that good. It's that loaded up front. So um, I, I think this there's some staying power here. Now are they going to have 15 every year? Probably not. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's still very hard to hit on a bulk of your 25-man recruiting class. But, man, I, I think Georgia, um, specifically on that defensive side of the ball, should have no issues getting seven, eight guys selected uh, every year. I mean, or, or at least having guys in training camps and whatnot. Now, five guys drafted in the first round, all from the defensive side of the ball from the University of Georgia. And, and, and Cooper, what's even crazier, Jermaine Johnson left Athens because he couldn't find playing time, goes to Georgia, or, or goes to Florida State, excuse me. He's drafted in the first round. You got another guy, Tyreek Stevenson, uh, who tested the waters. He was down at Miami. He was Miami's probably best defender this past year. So that's how good the defense is. That's how hard it is to find snaps. So when they're talking about some of these guys not playing a ton or playing a loaded role or, or doing this and doing that, I mean, that's how you get on the field there. There's just that. It's like an all-star unit. Yeah, five defenders taken in the first round for the University of Georgia and then looking 
at the rankings at five or excuse me, seven five stars uh, taken out of the 15 guys selected for the University of Georgia. And we talked about that talent acquisition and being able to develop. We're going to talk a little bit about Texas later in the show, who's really kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum here. But Drew, I kind of want to go back to what you said about the height, weight, speed philosophy. And this is something that we continue to bring up. And I want to tie this in a little bit to our rankings process of why this is so important. This is going to come later in the conversation uh, as well when we start to talk about multi-sport participation and what that means when evaluating prospects and projecting their success to the next level. But there are no two programs in the country, obviously with Kirby Smart being under Nick Saban as long as he was at the University of Alabama, that understand the height, weight, speed philosophy and the dedication to it more than the Georgia Bulldogs and Alabama Crimson Tide. You've seen that now, uh, the results in terms of their guys getting drafted, 22 guys selected between the University of Georgia and the University of Alabama. And to me, that that's just playing the odds. Not everybody can recruit that way. Uh, but when you look at Georgia and Alabama and why they do that, and I think a, a, an interesting uh, scenario to look at is, is looking at a guy like Quay Walker, uh, compared to a guy like Nicobe Dean, Nicobe Dean, six foot, 220 pounds, uh, Dick Buckus award winner this past year, had some red flags in the draft process that came up, obviously with some injuries, elected not to get shoulder surgery, had some knee issues uh, that came to light. Quay Walker goes in the first round. Now, now that could be the same story with a clean bill of health for Nicobe Dean, and it probably is. But you look at Quay Walker and the way that he tested in Indianapolis at the combine compared to Nicobe Dean, it's really not in question who the better athlete is. NFL decides that's the route they want to go. Green Bay takes two Georgia Bulldog defenders in the first round. That's the first time that's ever happened in NFL history. Uh, two draft picks, same side of the ball for the for one team. So a lot going on there. We're going to continue to talk about that. But I want to talk about the next team and arguably the most impressive feat of any program Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats set a record for a group of five program with nine players drafted. And it's a completely different storyline than the Georgia Bulldogs. We talked about 11 out of the 15 guys that got drafted for the Georgia Bulldogs were ranked four-star or higher. That is not the case for the Cincinnati Bearcats as only one of their nine guys was a four-star coming out of high school. And that was Alabama transfer running back Jerome Ford who played his football down in Florida. So, Drew, what do, what do you make – of what Cincinnati has done. I think it's pretty interesting. Luke Fickle likes to zero in really on that Midwest area, does a really good job with Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Northern Kentucky, Ohio, and then is kind of spot recruited Florida and Georgia. We talked about sustainability. Like when I think about Cincinnati and them now moving into the Big 12 as soon as next year and into the Power Five, I don't think there's one program that has more to gain than Luke Fickle and the Bearcats. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, to me, uh, I think with what Cincinnati did in this draft, like that strength department, that that strength staff deserves a ton of credit. And I know obviously they're not going out and recruiting those guys, but, um, you know, Cincinnati, they had a number of guys test very well at the NFL scouting combine. Um, and they helped develop a lot of those guys because you got to remember who Cincinnati was bringing in. It wasn't a ton of guys that were ready to go right away day one. It was it was more longer frames, um, guys that needed to add some, some bulk up, add some body armor, get more explosive. And it seems like when they got to Cincinnati, they did just that. So number one, credit Luke Fickle and his staff for going and identifying those body types. 
and then credit that strength staff for putting them all together. You know, uh, it's crazy to me. I, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was reading about Cincinnati's spring game. Uh, one, of, one of the players, Shaman Medeyar, Medeyar, uh, I don't know, something like that. It's something along those lines. But he was a guy down at Miami Central, right? Tight end, edge rusher, basketball player. We we had, at one point had him in the top two, four, seven, moved him out. Had him fin- he finishes a high three. Well, he was a skinny, lean kid. Turns out he's now at Cincinnati. He's been there for two years. He's up to 250 pounds, right? He's running, uh, I think, 21.53 on the GPS, which for someone that size, topping out at that speed is kind of insane. So that, to me, that just speaks to how well they are training and developing their athletes right there. And I agree, man. Cincinnati has a ton to gain by moving to the Big 12. I cannot tell you how many kids I've talked to that have brought up the fact that Sauce Gardner went there, that have brought up the fact that they're gonna have they were gonna have multiple guys drafted. So not only do did they see a bunch of guys go in the draft, but recruits are taking notice. And I think that's gonna open the door for Cincinnati. Uh, to get a seat at the table, uh, maybe with some of these recruits they didn't before. And that's kind of scary because Luke Fickle has done all this without really having that national brand. And real quickly, Cincinnati, you're in the college football playoff. You have all these guys drafted, um, Desmond Ritter, Sauce Gardner. you got some household names out there. Now they have that. So I'm interested to see what they do on the recruiting trail You know, here in 2023, here in 2024, and kind of moving forward. I love Cincinnati's upside. You talk about them shifting into the Big 12 as soon as next year they'll be going with Houston, Central Florida. I think both of those teams will benefit as well. So you look at Cincinnati and and where they can go from here. I was thinking about it late last night and really studying the Big 12. We're going to get in more to the Big 12 a little bit later in the show, but there is this big gap in the Big 12. you got Texas, Oklahoma. Both of those teams finished in the top 10 recruiting last year. Texas, well-documented, didn't have any players drafted this year in the NFL draft. Out of 32 players from the state of Texas, not one went to the University of Texas and got drafted. But there's going to be a big void in the Big 12, and especially from a recruiting prowess standpoint. I think Luke Fickle and company are in the best position to take advantage of that. And listen, I've been around a lot of good coaches during my time in college football, and I was I was fortunate enough to be around Luke Fickle for a couple of months. He was arguably one of the most impressive coaches, him and Chris Peterson, that I ever had the opportunity of being around. He was he had a vision. He was concise. They operated with urgency. Uh, and you've seen those processes and in, in that belief in, in those processes uh, really bleed over to everybody on staff and to the players as well. They've done a, an excellent job of developing. And this kind of leads me to our next conversation, even at Cincinnati. They understand who they are. They understand the battles that they get in on the recruiting trail. They don't really overextend themselves. They're super opportunistic in the transfer portal. We talked about Jerome Ford being being one of those guys they brought back. Darian Beavers, who was originally from the Cincinnati area, went to UConn. They bring him back. He now gets drafted. Are there some other schools? We talk about this height, weight, speed philosophy, and I want to mention kind of the the names that will come up for sure. We we know the Alabama, Georgia, LSU, a lot of these programs in the SEC, they are cut that way because they have to be cut that way. Ohio State, Penn State had a great draft with eight draft picks. But are there some programs outside of, of maybe that footprint that have to be a, a little bit more creative uh, in terms of how they recruit and, and really kind of take some chances on some guys? And, and I'll start. I thought Minnesota had a good draft. They only had four guys. Uh Get, get drafted, but you talk about Daniel Falalele. We we know his story. We talked about him a little bit 
from from IMG over 400 pounds uh, was a guy that that got dropped by some schools late in the process. Minnesota takes him because they don't have that type of size. They coach him up. Uh, and that's a guy who gets drafted uh, in the first couple of days in the NFL draft. So I look at Minnesota. Baylor is another one of those programs as well, Drew. But I, I wonder, are there some programs that you like on the trail with what they're doing? And maybe they can get into this conversation as well. At some well point. You mentioned Baylor, and that was all kind of Matt Rule. I mean, he was the height, weight, speed guy, Tyquan Thornton. Um, you know, he goes in the second round to the New England Patriots. You know, I wrote after he went that 4-2-8 at the uh, scouting combine, uh, talking to his high school coach. I mean, he was the quarter horse, state champ in the 400-meter dash. Florida and Miami were on him, but Fran Brown, now Georgia's secondary coach, was at Baylor. He had built that relationship from day one. So it, 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 in essence, if we take a step back, it should not be surprising that Baylor had this many guys. I mean, they literally recruited to a specific mold, and you're seeing it pay off. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're wondering, hey, do you rec- if you recruit track athletes, right, and you recruit these guys that check all these boxes, are you going to be able to win games? Are these guys going to get drafted? And I think Baylor is a clear example of like, yes, it will be. Um, some other ones that stood out to me, Iowa State, I know they had four selections. You know, Pittsburgh only had two selections, but you combine that with what they had last year. They had six last year, and they're up to eight. Obviously, we know um, the wide receiver that's in the transfer portal, who knows where he'll go. But I think Pat Narduzzi, um, he deserves some credit. You know, they've done a really good job of identifying developmental types and, and turning those guys into into draft picks specifically in the state of Florida. You know, it seems like they keep doing that. So, you know, when they offer a kid, I'm not saying that that alters my grade of the kid, but it always makes me take a step back and go, all right, this kid's got a Pittsburgh offer. You know, what else do we know? So those those are two for me. Um, you know, UCF, they only had one guy drafted this year, but they had a few last year, and, and I know we're going to talk about the Big 12. They're, they're a team I got my eye, keeping, I'm keeping my eye on because, you know, multiple kids have brought up the fact that they are changing conferences. You're playing in the Power Five. You don't have to be in that Big Three anymore. So those are those are some of them for me. I mean, do you have, do you have some others, or is it kind of the same? No, I think it's 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 pretty similar. I, I, I love what I call, like, you, you could label them card counter programs. You know, like, when, when you're in a place like Baylor, when you're in a place like Iowa State, when you're in a place like Minnesota, you know you can't go the conventional route in terms of the head-to-head with, with the big dogs in your league. If Minnesota can't go head-to-head with Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan, that's a battle that they're going to lose nine out of ten times. So, they have to be, you could call it creative, but they just really have to be calculated in terms of the players that they identify, evaluate, bring into their program and develop uh, and have a really good understanding of what the vision is for each of those players and how those guys can be successful. I mean, you talked about it. Matt Rule's philosophy was very simple. It was height, weight, speed. And based in the state of Texas, they did a really good job keeping some developmental speed players type uh, home so i thought they did a really good job with that i don't know why more programs really don't really shift into that philosophy talked about baylor we, we talked about iowa state i think they do a really good job in the trenches at the tight end position uh as well so i think there's a lot of opportunity in the state of texas like i keep saying we're, we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more in the process but i'd like to see some other programs really kind of jump on that bandwagon and recruit that way to, to their universities. So uh, I, let, me, let me jump in here real quick. You know, just you mentioned why don't more schools kind of recruit that way? I, I think it's not sexy. And I, I think the issue is 
let's talk Minnesota, right, and, and Iowa State. Both those schools, and, and they're located in colder areas, you know, cold weather, they really load up. And what we've seen in recent cycles is bringing in official visitors in, in June, right, trying to lock those kids in. Um, and, and then you're kind of trying to hold on to them. They, they try to have a bulk of their class in place right there before you even get into fall camp. So, you know, I, I, I think one one reason why schools don't really do this, I mean, you got to have all your ducks in order. That spring evaluation period has got to be so important for you. You got to know what guys you want to go on, right? Then you get them and then you got to hang on to them. And I go to Minnesota's class. You know, I really liked what they did in the class of, of, of 2022, um, you know, just scrolling right at it right now. Anthony, uh, Anthony Smith was a defensive lineman out of uh, I think we moved him into the top two, four, seven. He was on my freaks list at the end. You know, I go up and down this list and there's a lot of guys where it's like, hey, man, potential NFL traits. Hayden Schwartz, a defensive lineman out of the Jacksonville area. His dad's a former second round draft pick. So it's really easy to, to see what 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 their goal, what their vision is. Iowa State, Greg Gaines, a wide receiver. You know, I just think more schools don't do it because it's it's not sexy, man. You know, you're, 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 there's not big recruiting battles or anything like that. You you just kind of get your recruiting out of the way and, um, you know, try to hold on. Yeah, I think it goes back to, to knowing who you are. I think Billy Napier did a really good job of this when he was at UL Lafayette. They had two guys drafted this year, a couple guys in the transfer portal who ended up at Florida, but they were a height, weight, speed program in the Sun Belt. Uh, so it can be done at a couple different levels. Some teams that I look forward to in the future that I think are going to take big steps at A&M, obviously with the, with the class that they've had, uh, the number one ranked recruiting class uh, in the history of college football. Uh, certainly, if they can keep that locker room together, keep that team together, for no reason, three to four years down the line, they, they should be kind of hovering around this area in the double digits. I would imagine Brent Venables at Oklahoma, you look at Clemson's track record, being able to develop NFL-type talent. I think Oklahoma is a team that's going to take a step. USC, we've talked about the talent that they've attracted at the skill positions. And I think Miami is really going to be a program to keep an eye on as well. I'm interested because it wasn't like Oregon. Look, Kayvon Thibodeau, props to Mario Cristobal there going in the top five. Penesul, another top 10 prospect the year before that. But in terms of the depth of players coming out of the University of Oregon, it wasn't like it was consistent five, six, seven players year in and year out. So I'm interested to see if Mario Cristobal can capitalize uh, and Coral Gables on that. But Drew, now shifting gears out west to the Pac-12 and now talking a little bit about the Big 12. This kind of stood out to me, and I keep bringing it up. Uh, but in, in this was a, a major concern for us during my time at Washington and at Oregon as well. But once you start thinking outside of the conference and how to win the conference and you get into January and you start thinking about, okay, who are we going to see if we're in the Rose Bowl? Utah saw Ohio State. Uh, Oregon has seen Wisconsin. Uh, one of those big physical teams from the Big Ten. When, when we start to get into that New Year's 6 January conversation, the dynamic shifts a little bit. Only three offensive linemen from the Pac-12 drafted this past year. Only eight combined OLDL and edge players drafted from both the Pac-12 and the Big 12 as compared to the SEC who had 26, compared to the Big 10 who had 20, and compared to the ACC who had 12, which isn't great in their own right. But I want to talk about those two programs. And out West, I think it's really you almost have like a built-in excuse. I'm looking at 2023. There is only two offensive linemen in the top 24-7 in the Pac-12 footprint for 2023, which is a little bit scary, which 
We go back. We've talked about Josh Carnerly, the number one offensive lineman in the class of 2022. That's a huge get, not only because of the player that you're getting, but because of the need and because of the lack of beef on the West Coast. That's huge if you're Oregon to be able to get that type of player. But if if you're a team out West or in the Big 12, and, and I want to start with the Pac-12, how do you build a line of scrimmage? We just got done talking with uh, talking about Georgia, and we talked about Alabama. LSU, off a of six and seven season, has ten guys drafted. How do you build a line of scrimmage that can contend with the likes of an SEC program come January out west? Well, I think you got to recruit outside your outside your comfort zone, outside of your region. I mean, I think that would be one avenue, one route. Um, you know, but I'm kind of uh, I've long been a believer of of maybe volume shooting when it comes to recruiting both the offensive and defensive line. What do I mean by that? You know, I think we, when we see these cycles progress, right. A lot of times schools specifically defense alignment, right. They'll, they'll come through in the spring evaluation period. Uh, not big enough. Uh, not this doesn't check that box, right. Pass on that kid. And then six, six months later, you know, five, six months later, when we get to November and December, they circle back and it's already a little bit too late. So you know, for me, I think schools just need to be a little more open to what, what they're looking for. I mean, it's easy to try to find that that perfect prospect, and that's the guy I want to go after. But maybe expand your horizon, your parameters, widen that margin a little bit. Um, but, but for me, I, I think of the offensive line, you know, you mentioned some of those conferences. And a lot of what those schools do, I mean, they're bringing four or five offensive linemen in every year. Right. You, you know, you're, you're you're not just settling for the bare minimum, because I think when that happens, you settle for that bare minimum. Then now also you're in the transfer portal. We know everyone's in the transfer portal tr- uh, going after the same the, the same five uh, offensive tackle transfers. So, you know, I, I think you got to figure out, hey, are we going to try to develop guys or, or are we going to live in this one and done system right now, which obviously is here to stay with how the transfer portal is. So so to me, I, you know, I, I think it's maybe expanding that board a little bit and and getting bodies in on both sides of the ball and trying to develop them. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And it goes back to the question, and, and you know, I took a little bit of flack on, on, on Twitter about this because I, I raised this question, but how many programs in the Pac-12 can you realistically say have a chance to develop their program, build a roster that can compete in January for a potential CFP. And only two come to mind in the Pac-12. That's Oregon and that's USC. And and that's no disrespect to Utah. We've seen Utah. I think what we saw to Utah was probably their ceiling last year. Goes to a Rose Bowl, plays a 
uh, Ohio State and a really talented Ohio State team very well. But in terms of being able to compete in the CFP, they would need some things to break their way. And they continue to do a really good job on both sides of the line of scrimmage, talking about Utah. But if you're Oregon and Dan Lanning, you're Lincoln Riley and USC. And listen, I, I know the equivalent of Jordan Addison is not out there in the transfer portal right now in terms of offense and defensive line. But if I'm USC and I'm going to bankroll in terms of the transfer portal, I'm saving my resources for somebody on the OL or the DL, uh, a, a Tyler Steen type of player who ended up going to Alabama. That's the way they need to operate, in my opinion. It's just too difficult sledding out there where you have to pick and choose and be selective when it comes to that. But Drew, now moving on to the Big 12. And I have to say, like, disappointed. I thought this raised a, a lot of questions. Texas has zero players drafted. Zero. Tulsa had two, had more out of, out of the state of Texas. Houston has more. So looking at Texas, and, and I think Oklahoma's a little bit different here, but Texas has recruited well. Two back-to-back, -back, number three classes, 2018, 2019. We talked about how important that was for the University of Georgia. Georgia has 15 players drafted. Texas has zero. And both of these guys were supposed to be in the same stratosphere in 2018, 2019, where does Texas go from here? And you can't pin that on, on Steve Sarkeesian, right? And, and But Texas, in a similar fashion, has a top five class last year. They do a great job on the, on the offensive line, at least on paper, in our estimation. They go out, they get Kelvin Banks, they get Devon Campbell, they get Nato Umiazulu. A lot of talent there across the line of scrimmage. It leaves this Texas-sized hole when I look at Texas – and I look at Oklahoma, and then I'm like, who's next? Baylor had five guys drafted. But we talked about Cincinnati being able to, to step in and, and really have success immediately in the Big 12. This is why I think that way. A&M had four guys in the state of Texas, what you expect. LSU had four guys in the state of Texas, which is what you expect. Uh, like, where does the Big 12 go from here in terms of addressing how they – how they begin to contend when it comes January, which they really haven't been a presence in the last couple of years without the presence of Oklahoma. So I don't even know if that's a question. I guess what I'm saying, there's, there's this big hole when it comes to the big 12. And then you, and then you talk about Texas and Oklahoma taking off for the sec, like who's going to be the guys out there. That's kind of really what I want to know. It's a great question. You know, I, I I've mentioned UCF a few different times, right? I, I brought them up. You know, I don't know. We'll see how long Gus Malls on is there, but they've got some guys in the NFL making plays. You know, they are recruiting as good as they've ever recruited. Um, you know, last year signed their highest ranked recruiting class ever, pacing really well right now with a couple of front seven edge players. We mentioned them in the past, Isaiah Nixon, a, a four-star recruit that multiple SEC schools wanted. He's kind of like the headliner right now in their class. I mean, it's a great question. I don't know. I mean, I think the safe money, the easy money would be on Cincinnati, right? Luke Fickle is there. You know, we, we talked about their player development, the, the strength program. I, I think they could easily come in and, and win right away. And it'll be interesting just to me to see, you know, how much of a boost does UCF get? How much of a boost does a school like UCF or Houston get, excuse me? But I think at the end of the day, you know, with NL, NIL, I, I think it's going to make it a little difficult for those programs with Cincinnati, with, with Houston, with UCF. I mean, UCF just lost one of their top receivers to the transfer portal, and it's pretty clear he's trying to go find a different deal somewhere else. So, you know, you're almost like a minor league team. So, you know, I, I, I don't really know who's going to fill that void. 
Yeah, Joey McGuire doing a really good job with Texas Tech, the number two ranked recruiting class in 2023. Baylor right there at number nine. We don't expect that to stay, but I'm looking at Iowa State. People keep asking, hey, what does Matt Campbell need to do for Iowa State to take the next step? Well, now you have the two premier programs in your conference leaving and bolting for the SEC. And like I said, there's so much opportunity in the state of Texas. You look at the, the players from Tulsa, Houston, the G5 level, the FCS level that are getting drafted. And, and listen, I love the job that Iowa State does, but there's going to be opportunity there for, for teams like Iowa State, for teams like Oklahoma State, for teams like TCU. And I think TCU has some sex appeal. Sonny Dykes coming over from SMU. like That was a place when it was rolling with Gary Patterson, it was good. That was a really talented program in terms of what they were able to deliver in terms of NFL caliber talent. So TCU's got to get it going. We talked about these guys that are, are, are card counters in a lot of ways. And I think Dave Aranda has, has adopted in some way, shape or form a little what Matt Rule had established there uh, before he had gotten there. But it, it's going to be interesting to see nonetheless how the Big 12 plays out. But Drew, hey, kind of shifting. Yeah, go, go ahead. Just one just one point. Right. We, we mentioned Iowa State. Right. And, and this can tie into Minnesota. Right. Those guys card counting. I think the big issue for those guys, and I was having this conversation with someone over the weekend after an Iowa State player entered the transfer portal, right? It was it was a cornerback from down here. You know, he's in his second year. You know, my buddy texts me, hey, this kid's in the portal. And I'm like, that's the type of kid that needs to be at that program for three to four years, right? It, it, you know, most of the guys that Iowa State's taken these days are guys that need to be developed. You know, they, they need to come in and sit for two to three years and then be ready and then potentially be drafted. So I think that's the big issue, you know, not a big issue for Matt Campbell and PJ Fleck and anyone that's under that model. But I think the big thing for them is convincing guys to stay, get developed, right. And, and then, and then play, you know, and I think right now we're, we're in this era where so many guys want to be on the field so early that that's just yet another battle these head coaches are having to face. Yeah, in a way, I, I feel like this is what happens sometimes with Matt Campbell and Iowa State. They have outperformed expectations in the way that they have built that program. Now it leads to another step that needs to be taken to be able to sustain that type of success. Only two years ago, winning a Fiesta Bowl, beating Mario Cristobal and the Oregon Ducks. I was there uh, down in Arizona, so I remember that quite well. But, Drew, I want to move on to something that we just continue to bang home. Uh, in our evaluation process and the rankings process, something that is is starting to get a lot more attention in terms of how players are projected, not only to Saturdays, but Sundays as well. And that's multi-sport participation. We talk about it a lot. Our friends at Tracking Football do a great job really compiling and analyzing all this data. But I'm going to read you some statistics in, in from this NFL draft. And I want you to kind of give me your thoughts on what sticks out. 68 percent participated in, in draft picks participated in track and field 43 percent were three or more sport athletes only 11 percent were one sport specialist and 88 percent were multi-sport participants in high school what stands out to you about anything i just said i mean it's not shocking right i mean the the, the surprising thing to me is we see these these kids these days that are just you know, how do you rank an offensive lineman high that is only a one sport kid, right? Uh, like that, that's just how I feel right now. Given what we know um, with recent NFL dra draft data, you know, this isn't surprising to me. You know, I, I always say it and, you know, the more sports, the better. I think specialization is just, it, it hampers kids, hurts kids. Um, so it's not, it's not surprising. Um, you know, we've tried to cater 
our, our rankings towards this. We've, we've realized how important it is for guys to be playing multiple sports. I think you could also see a competitive edge, you know, a guy who wants to win and multiple things. Like, I think that's also ultimately so important. You know, there's that video of Kyrie Elam going around uh, the, the cornerback out of Florida with his pre-draft interview at the scouting combine with the Buffalo Bills. You know, he's like brings out a notebook. And, you know, I, I think more and more NFL teams are honing in on guys that want to be per perfect at their craft, but guys that are well-rounded athletes. And Kyrie Elam was. He was a track guy. He did so many different things. So not surprising to me. And, and I think this is just kind of the norm moving forward. The more boxes you check in the evaluation process, the, the less that there is to speculate. I think some really good examples of that. We talked about Trent McDuffie, the type of athlete he was. We talked about a guy like Tyler Lindenbaum, you know, and in terms of how Tyler Lindenbaum tested at the NFL Combine, I think he was pretty pedestrian, maybe right, almost average uh, in terms of, of league standards. That guy was a four sport athlete in, in high school uh, in led his team in hits as a junior and senior in baseball was a guy that I, I believe went 53 and 10 as a wrestler uh, also had a, a 53 foot plus in the, in the shot. Uh, so a guy that did a lot of different things. And once you start to kind of check all those boxes and you talk about the team that he's going to in the Baltimore Ravens kind of fits that identity. And, and that's how those guys draft. You talk about competitive temperament. And I think for us, it just goes back to what we're looking at is how, how are they doing something? What are they doing on the field? How are they doing it? That means against what level of competition? Uh, and then you you kind of look at the competitive temperament, which I think is what multi-sport participation kind of pulls the curtain back on a little bit more. We talked about uh, the 300-meter hurdles, one of the toughest track and field events out there. The guy that broke the state record formerly held by uh, Ezekiel Elliott in Missouri was Jamison Williams. Right. So looking at a guy that's not just a speed guy, but does he have a little bit more to him from a mentality standpoint as well? I think those are all questions that you can ask. They're all questions now that are, are being either confirmed uh, or you're asking more questions in the evaluation process. And for us, at the end of the day, like it keeps going back to this height, weight, speed, philosophy, analogy, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, Teams like Georgia are okay building a team full of guys that meet the standard, meet the rule. Um, they're not going to build a team full of exceptions. You can't see that. Uh, and I think the teams that are, are have mastered this understand when there's a player out there that maybe doesn't meet their prototypical height, weight, speed factors and standards – but they understand that this player overcompensates uh, in so many different ways. You, you could go back and a guy that we'd love to talk about, Tyron Matthew from New Orleans, Louisiana, didn't have the opportunity. I believe, you know, uh, at Tennessee, they told him that he wasn't going to get offered after he camped with him. And that was a story, you know, now that gets floated out there. And it's like, how could that happen? But you look at what he ran. He was he was sub five, nine. He was one hundred and seventy five pounds. He had outstanding instincts, but I believe he ran like a sub four seven. So um, at that time, if it doesn't match those type of standards uh, that they have for their program, that's not how they're going to build a team. I think that's going to be a similar fashion for, for how we're going to go about our process and how we rank. We are going to err on the side of height, weight, speed um, in, in terms of that's how you build a team. That's how you build a contending team. Uh, and that's how you build a, a multi-dimensional team as well. So I think that's pretty fascinating. That kind of leads to our one fan question of the day from Pulling Pin on Twitter. 
my guy right there. But you know, I think in a way I kind of answered this, but I'll leave this to you. Drew, what, if anything, did you learn from this year's NFL draft that will change or alter how you evaluate or rate prospects moving forward? I mean, I think we just kind of hit on all of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he here's an example. Uh, Hakeem Williams, right? Wide receiver, right in my backyard. Guy we love, big frame kid, considering Texas A&M, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Miami, uh, Pittsburgh, all, all these schools in here, right? And we don't have like a ton of verified data on him. You know, we know he's big. We, we know he's good. He's playing in Fort Lauderdale, public school competition. Um, you know, with some private schools mixed in here and there. Uh, and he's never been one that's ran, right? So you don't, you know, you know he's good, but you would kind of like to, like, see something. You know, you, you want your eyes to line up with what the data says. And, you know, it eventually got to some point for me, and, and the draft kind of reinforces this. Like, this kid's just a really, really damn good athlete. You know, he swam, like, varsity swam as a freshman at Stranahan, which is – probably one of the worst swimming programs in Broward County, right? Which I think is just insane to me when he was telling me. And then the most impressive thing is he's only been playing basketball competitively, you know, not outside the parks, like actually, uh, you know, organized basketball for a few years. But he goes to the the state final four for Stranahan and posts back-to-back double-doubles, which to me is just like shows how elite of an athlete you are. At that level, you know, second highest classification in the Sunshine State, playing basketball, your second sport, and back-to-back double doubles for a guy who's only like six three. Um, you know, so I, I think that you know the, the other thing, big takeaway for me is just guys that check boxes off the field. Like you got to have it all together in the head. Um, I, I think that's that's super huge. I, I reference that Kyir Elam uh, video. But I, I think all that matters, and we're seeing it even more with the NFL draft, with the, the interview process and everything like that. Like You have to have that competitive edge, that will, that desire to win. Um, you know, And I, I guess I, get, I don't really have an example of a guy who got, who got passed up on, but you know, those are some things that stand out to me. And the other thing, man, is it's a big man league, right? You mentioned Kobe Dean, and obviously there were some medical red flags and all that stuff, and you know, Quay Walker goes a little bit before him. You, you talked about – well, he, he tested really well, but Quay Walker is also bigger. And, you know, that, that's the one thing I always come back to with the NFL draft. The majority of these positions, you know, if you're a, a front seven point of attack player, it really just comes down to how big you are. You know, essentially, that's kind of one of the biggest indicators. So, you know, I think when we go through our rankings and, and try to put these guys together, you know, at the end of the day, we need to look how big can this guy get? What is his growth potential and how can he fill out? Yeah, I'm looking forward to our next rankings update. A lot of really good conversation as we continue to dive in on the draft. Two guys I want to bring up, Traylon Burks, Andrew Booth. Neither of those guys had verified testing from what I believe uh, back in high school. It just makes those evaluations a little bit more difficult. Traylon Burks ends up going in the top 20 to the Tennessee Titans. I believe Andrew Booth ends up going in the top 50 to the Minnesota Vikings in the second round. Both those guys had outstanding production, not only in high school, but in college and nowadays, it, we're, we're super fortunate now that we have all this information. It wasn't like that, believe it or not, five or six years ago. So um, with now all these third party vendors coming in in the space, we, we have the same amount of data that a lot of these teams in the NFL are afforded in the pre-draft process as well. But Drew, before we leave, any final thoughts before we head into the rest of the week? Uh, well, I was up in Jacksonville last week uh, making the rounds, you know, 
We've talked about Georgia at the beginning of this podcast. You know, we've we always talked about Florida and Billy Napier. I'm really interested to see kind of, you know, and I know this is like a sidebar, um, but just what shakes out in Duval County, right? Duval County, you know, one of the biggest cities. I think it's the biggest city in America, but there's a lot of uh, blue chip playmakers up there. And I'm, I'm just interested to see that tug and pull, you know, Georgia obviously plays Florida every year in in Jacksonville, and uh, just that's a lingering thought that's been kind of on my mind. You know, who does Georgia get from that area, and, and who can Florida hang on to? And I'm talking about guys like Roderick Kearney, a top two four seven offensive lineman, uh, Grayson Howard, a, a top two four seven linebacker. You got Keaton Kirkland, a, a top or a four star safety. So that's just something I've been I've been marinating on. And you know, again, it just seems like Georgia, man, they they are on guys that check a ton of boxes off and guys that have the profiles we all like. Drew, I think I have a pretty interesting opinion on this, but three or four years from now, let's say we revisit this conversation in the state of Florida. Who do you expect out of the, out of the big three in the state of Florida to have the most draft picks? I'd probably lean uh, Florida. If we're going to be honest, you know, I, I think, and we saw it with uh, Tyree Patterson, the, the the receiver that Florida took out of Eustis, a little under the radar guy. You know, that to me, and we've talked about it off air, that shows that Billy Napier does not care about what anyone else thinks. If this guy fits what they want to do, if if they if if they believe in him, they're going to take him. And I think if they stick to that mold, not worry about the recruiting rankings, not worry about going after guys then absolutely at some point down the line, I would expect them to have more NFL draft picks, right? Just in sheer volume than let's say Miami or Florida State. I, I honestly do believe in that. I think Mario Cristobal in Miami might be a little more concerned with going after some of these more high profile recruits. And, you know, th that's great. At the end of the day, though, I think the bust rate is certainly high, even as good as these rankings have gotten. You know, guys always flame out. So uh, that that's where I would lean, to, if we're going to be honest. I tend to agree. I think Miami, when we look back over the next three years, is going to have a couple higher ranked recruiting classes. I think Florida is going to have a better track record in terms of developing and getting these guys ready for the NFL. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on. The last thing I'll end on is UCLA had six players drafted, which is crazy to think about. That's more than more than USC, uh, I believe, more than anybody else in the conference at UCLA. Chip Kelly can coach. That hasn't gone anywhere. And, and when I think about it, that is the most frustrating aspect when you think about a Chip Kelly-led program at UCLA is all the resources that UCLA has, at least being in that area and, and being able to attract uh, the type of caliber players that they want to that program. It's frustrating to see UCLA not recruiting at a higher clip to see what he's done uh, developing these guys, getting them ready for the NFL. He's a really good coach. We saw that last year against LSU in the first game of the season. Uh, if they could get a more consistent product in terms of what they're bringing in on a talent acquisition front, I think Chip Kelly could be as good as anybody in the country. Unfortunately, that is not the case. So that's my little sidebar. The last thing, the Oregon Ducks get wide receiver, number 59 prospect yeah. for 24-7 sports. Jury on Dickey last night, the number eight receiver. Drew, I don't know how much you've watched of him, but, but I love this kid. Well, I was watching some playoff hockey, but as soon as I saw there was a CBS HQ 930 announcement, I had to, had to flip it on. And I don't know, like the whole announcement, I was like cracking up laughing. It felt like, a, I don't know, it was very unique in terms of him like looking around with the camera going on. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, you, you all the highlights are on there. Obviously, Steve Wilfonger, a colleague, like I think this is an awesome pickup for Oregon. I know you've written about him 
Um, but just a big body receiver that can create separation uh, is excellent after the catch. You know, we keep wondering or, or, or talking about the Pac-12. You know, it, it seems like this is going to be Oregon and USC battling for kids. And you got to kind of tip your cap to what Dan Lanning's doing. I mean, not only do they, they, they pick up that pledge over the weekend, they have Dante Moore on campus and then they have Richard Young, the five-star running back. So I'm, I'm interested to see how these next few months go because that they, they are going to have a, a chance at signing a very, very good recruiting class. Quietly building equity, the Oregon Ducks, Dan Lanning. If that, and if you're Dan Lanning, that's what you do. Just, just be yourself. Keep to keep to yourself. Have your have your profile for what you want to identify as an Oregon Duck. But you talked about it. Junior Adams came over from the University of Washington, the new receivers coach over there, to get Jerry on Dickey and to get Kyle Casper, who who's reclassified, but a former top twenty four seven standout from the state of Arizona. That's a great start. We talked about Josh Connerly as well. Listen, they, they don't have a, a high quantity of players in the boat, but the quality of the type of players that they brought in, Cole Martin, another top 24-7 guy as well. I love what Oregon has done on the trail. This Jerry on Dickey kid, to, to go back to the height, weight, speed, 6'2", 215 pounds plus, 4'5", 37-inch vert, 1,300 yards receiving last year, 24 touchdowns, a three-phase player, and a three-sport athlete. Check box, check box, check box. Yeah, uh, I so if you're Oregon – I think there's a lot of things that he could suit up for in 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 the fall, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, he'll he'll be ready to play the the pro comp on him, and it might just be recency. Uh, but it was AJ Brown from from Ole Miss, who's certainly uh, not a bad guy to be compared to. Just got a hundred million dollar contract from the Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, Drew, that is it for us. I appreciate you guys joining us. So for Andrew Ivins, for Tagnet, thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.